Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. about the vitriol. We could have spent the entire hour tonight, I was almost tempted, just airing the crap, the garbage, the hate that was online. And I thought, nope, we don't want to make the country uglier. But it was definitely out there, as you well know. Yeah. It's, the timing of all this is very, is very, I mean, I'm sure, you know, nothing to it, but it is, it's, it's pretty weird. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It is the 3rd of October, year of our Lord, 2020. Excuse my voice and nose. Um, we were out all day yesterday going antiquing, and I my allergies are just garbage this morning. I did not take um, Flonase. thought the allergy season was over, and we went all over southern Kentucky, and I was wearing masks, so it's not COVID. It's just freaking nose, but the benign intro there was on purpose because we will spend this majority of this podcast showing the vitriol the hate the contempt the utter i don't even have analogies words i cannot articulate the things i've read since yesterday because i went to bed and i did not know the president had been diagnosed and I woke to a world where liberals were once again doing what liberals do, being evil, hating their fellow man because they don't vote like them or think like them or articulate their stupid cult. It was so bad that I I kept copying files and kept getting this. And then I went out. Like I said, we were gone seven hours. I came home. By then, he had to go to Walter Reed because... He had gotten a fever, and then it was round two, specifically CNN. CNN was relishing in this. They were so happy that they could use this as political fodder. <clears throat> so I decided on my intro to play two sound bites. The fact that Tucker Carlson decided not to spend his whole show on it, and the timing. Now, I have not been Alex Jones on this show, and I've already kind of sported this out on a text to my brothers and sisters, which nobody responded. But as we're going through all this, I want you to think that everybody that comes in contact with the President of the United States, every single person that touches him, that can be within his sphere is tested for COVID. All of them. Yet he got COVID. And then I heard this soundbite from CBS. 
Over the course of the pandemic, the former vice president has made the argument that the president has failed to address the coronavirus and, and that he would do better. A recent CBS News battleground tracker poll of registered voters nationwide found 50 percent believe Biden would do a better job of handling the pandemic to the president's 38 percent. John Dickerson, let me let me ask you, as as much as as the president seemed to be flirting uh, with the coronavirus by not wearing a mask and going to big rallies, what, what was your what was your first thought when you heard the news overnight? Well, my first thought was we didn't have to wait long into October before we got our October surprise. COVID waits for no man. I'm, uh, you know, the president has downplayed the virus. He's mocked mask wearing as recently as in the debate. Um, and yet the pandemic is relentless and does not care where it goes. As you said, it didn't take long for us to get the October surprise. How, if we can even anticipate at this point, do you think it's going to affect the campaigns of both candidates? It keeps that issue right at the center of the campaign and the president's response to it, which is uh, not something that he wants at the center of the campaign because the polls have consistently shown that the country is disappointed with his handling of the issue. Now, never mind that the October surprise never goes against a Democrat. You never hear a Democrat October surprise. NBC News last time sat on a tape that they knew that they had him talking about grabbing the pussy. And the pussy grab was released right in October, along with full-fledged, full-throated Russia, 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 because Hillary had already lied and floated it. And we know that from Russian intelligence, that that's what they were doing because they knew the internals were bad. Well, now we go into this one. The internals are bad. From all accounts that I have seen, after the debate, Trump was a jackass, and he was looked at as a jackass, but he actually picked up ground. So the jackassery worked, all right? And he picked up ground. We know that across the board, there is more and more proof that he is gaining ground in black POC. I won't say BIPOC because the indigenous isn't on board, but I will say POC, Latina, black men, gay men. I want you just to think during this. So once again, this is a horrible thing to say, but I have no fucking other recourse to think. Did they do this on purpose? Did the left infect him so he cannot go and campaign? This pretty much guts his campaign. For two weeks, if he doesn't get sick, he can't do anything. He has to sit in a hospital. And Biden can go out and politic in those areas they lost last time. And I want you to think as we go through all the sound bites on all the things I'm about to read... The hate they have, it makes sense. Why wouldn't they? Now, point of order, supposedly by evening, and it was on the Tucker show, Twitter said they were going as a case-by-case basis based on the person, like the number of followers. They were deleting this stuff because it was against their policy, and they don't want to make Democrats look bad. But it's... It's subtly on CNN and in Nancy Pelosi and every Democratic senator's mouth. Their followers, the Biden voters, oh, it's outright nauseous. 
Zwek Zenfentstil, Z-W-E-T-C-H-K-E-N-S-T-I-E-L. I saw it in my feed. And of course, all the conservative sites did threads on it, but th- he's the one. He went around. ASAP Curry, I hope he suffers through this and dies as he's losing an election night. Yeah, the irony of Trump catching a disease he let thousands and thousands of people die of is quite delicious. Even if it wasn't vegan, I wouldn't stop eating it. Wow, real petty, you man. You had a chance to be a good person here. Mike Diva, I hope they die. Says most die. I don't know. This is a, must die. I only ever wanted you to suffer. He said the second time. If he dies, it is what it is. I don't feel bad about hoping he dies because I've been hoping that since 2015. So Trump got COVID, huh? Welp, if he dies, he dies. I was about to go to bed, but y'all out there giving off big energy hoping a man is going to die. Hypocrite Donald Trump claims me to be pro-life. He dies. Laugh my fucking ass off. Trump's going to die. Phil Nolan, die. I'm not going to read everybody's names, but this is just forever. This motherfucker better die. For once, I'm rooting for the virus. Time to die, please. Please die, please die, please die. I'm worried this might interfere with my dream of him in dying in prison. I'm not one to laugh at other people's suffering, but haha, burn in hell, you motherfucker. A nice, th- a, a, a nice thing about this is that he's still around to see how happy we're all going to be when he dies. No, but seriously, die. I hope they all die. I'm not naming names, so I'm not violating Twitter policy against wishing anyone harm. I will say, I do hope he dies. He's he killed 200,000 people. I hope he die. No, I'm not. I hope they both die. I don't want the current powers of GOP rally behind someone savvier and more civilized than Trump because we're already in enough trouble as it is, but I'm not going to pretend to be polite. I hope Trump fucking dies in painful COVID death. Steve Cox. I hope he dies. Then he blocked the guy that found it. There was a hashtag. Trump has ho- COVID, but he wouldn't wear a mask. The virus is real. Former Trump a minutes of Trump downplaying. Follow back resistance party. Follow who? Drop your favorite meme, a gif of uh, Trump being a piece of shit. So the slug is removing poor people health care, receiving the best treatment. I hope he dies. This is, uh, that one's still up. Face covering facts. This goes on for probably 100,000 tweets. It was leading. Lincoln Project. Rick Wilson. Yeah. Oh, that's not good. Hold on a second. Ben McDonald. Twitter com is blocked. Twitter refused to connect. Okay, that's that's probably not good. Hold on a second. <clears throat> Twitter.com. Okay, I'm in now. Let's see. Ben McDonald. I'll I'll search it up. Um, Ben McDonald Twitter. Ben McDonald. Uh, Let's try to get down here. Ah, come on. I'll have to read it from the thing. I'm so sorry. I don't think this is going to have a happy ending. Another uh, Lincoln project. Guess we'll find out just how close Trump and Hope are, if you know what I mean. 
He failed to protect the country. He couldn't even protect himself, George Conway. Lincoln Project, the human centipede of Twitter, never ceases to disappoint. And if you've ever seen that movie, it's a horrible movie. Not ghouls at all. How fake is it now? Ten Hollywood ghouls mock Trump for having COVID. You, You knew this was happening. Law and Order SVU actor Chris Maloney, who I used to like, appeared to rejoice over Trump's positive COVID test, responding to news a controversial right-winger Jacob Wohl was in hot water with the law over voter suppression, which, once again, that's a story I'm not going to cover, but two guys were doing um, robocalls, got busted in Michigan, Ilian Omar's paying people, she's not busted in Michigan. Tell me we have a justice system. I'm not saying for a second... What Wall did was good. I'm, I'm saying the opposite. It's bad. But how in the name of Zeus's ass crack can Ilian Omar not be getting busted for paying people? Once again, paying people to vote in a robo call. They're, they're, they are charged. They're charged. Can anybody explain to me how that works, Michigan? Because we have proof every fucking election the left does illegal shit, but they never suffer the consequences. And the first time a conservative does something wrong, which is still wrong, all right, I'm not saying it's not wrong, they're slammed. It just makes me always want to say what the actual fuck. How is this normal? Anyway, he tweeted, Maloney, I mean, this is Trump affected with COVID. Hey, Friday, where you been, baby? Oh, yeah. Glad he's having a good one. Chelsea Handler. Uh, blatant disregard for science and basic disregard for facts leads to COVID. Rosie O'Donnell uh, had a positive view of Trump's diagnosis. It was only applied if Trump passed away from it. The former TV personality tweeted, supposed exchange with her seven-year-old daughter, Dakota. Mom, did you hear Trump has COVID? Me. Yes, honey. Dakota. Maybe he'll get nicer in heaven. Um, hashtag America or Trump. Goodwill honey, mini driver, Thought insulting a sick U.S. president was a great way to start the day. She tweeted, extraordinary that a virus virus would want to use another virus as a host. Prince's bride actor, Carrie Ools, tweeted a short and nasty dig at Trump and his supporters over the news. How fake is it now? Kathy Griffin. Okay, fine. I'll pray for him and the wife on one condition. Not mild symptoms. And they each got to go on a ventilator for at least five days. That's my best and final. Bradley Whitford, the president's arrogant, cynical, irresponsible denial of deadly disease he has now has is the most devastating cell phone in human history. Whitford also used the opportunity to call Trump a white nationalist. A whole bunch of our most vulnerable citizens, disproportionately communities of color, have been dying of this disease. Now that a white nationalist has it, maybe we'll take it serious. Harry met Sally director Rob Reiner, that damn hoax. CNN gloated over audio of him telling Woodward he knew it wasn't a hoax. And regardless, Trump was using hoax to describe Democrats politicizing it. Why would we do anything to be right? All right. 
Tommy Chong, Hope Hicks has the virus. She tested positive and been closer to the president than anyone else. Now what? Will Trump get it? All right. Quit smiling and cheering. Stop celebrating. Stop it. Billy Eschner lashed out at people criticizing lefties for gloating about the president's misfortune. An unhinged paragraph, Eckner practically yelled, this man let over 200,000 Americans die in the last six months intentionally withheld life-saving information from us, lied and downplayed the virus until hundreds of thousands of innocent people were dead. That is completely wrong. It's not based on reality. But, you know, why would we? Nancy Pelosi on Trump's positive test. Hopefully this will be a message to the rest of the country. You didn't have to wear your mask. This is from S.E. Cup, who by no means was upset about this. Scott Dorkin, another lib. Hopefully this enlightenment will have them say, wear your mask, do your distancing, wash your hand, testing, tracing treatment so that we can crush this vicious virus, not only in our own country, but throughout the world, Speaker Pelosi said. Speaker Pelosi, maybe the blessing of it all, this is as sad as it is that the rest of the country has to know that even with the precautions taken surrounding the president, that people are susceptible so that they should ignore and shall we say, mocking of the mask. A lady caught on video not wearing a mask said that. And then this week, we have two Democrats mocking masks. What's relevant is what the real issue is, whether they're posting our views. Can we separate it from her ability to make objective, fair decisions? So, Wendy, I'm going to take I'm going to take my mask off when I speak. So. I will as well. I'm just I'm waiting so that we can do a little political theater. Okay. <laughs> so that it's on camera. Just like Omar uh, paying people to vote, that wasn't news. That that was not news. Nope, not news at all. Obama aide. She helped also on the Hillary campaign. Zara Rahim. It's been against my moral identity to tweet this for the past four years, but I hope he dies. I feel free. And if you all say anything, I said tweet, not say. Cherry Jacobs. Another Democrat mover and shaker. It affects almost no one, though. That's what you told us. And where do all these Biden voters who have burned our cities, beaten our citizens, murdered people, got a whole section on today. It's in This Is America. 400 cops injured. You don't have 400 black people shot. I'm just throwing it out there. They get it from our media. Here is just the first soundbite. Don, I said hours ago that this was a code red moment for the U.S. government before we even had these diagnoses from FLOTUS and POTUS. At this point, knowing that the president is sick and that the pandemic is uh, affecting personnel in the White House, this may be the most dangerous moment that the U.S. government has ever faced. The president is suffering from a deadly virus. This feels like something we should be watching on an episode of Homeland. The president of the United States is suffering from a deadly virus. He has to quarantine. He is not able to fully perform his his duties as commander in chief. It's his own dere- dereliction is um, 
partly to blame for this. He chose to go out to rallies. He chose to uh, downplay masks. He chose to not social distance uh, and, and call it a hoax. We are now in the midst of a national security crisis that is different than anyone in our history in this country. Uh, we have to be concerned about adversaries, particular, particularly Russia. We don't know what his health is going to be. It's going to totally upend uh, the end of the election campaign. So every aspect of our national life in terms of stability mm -hmm. is now affected in ways that we could never have envisioned a day ago. The, the president's doctor is saying, well, the president's going to carry out his duties uh, without disruption while recovering. Well, we don't know that for sure yet. We'll have to see, you know, how the president feels, if that is indeed part of the protocol of the government, because, you know, at some point the vice president is supposed to take over if the president can't carry out his duties in any way or if he's incapacitated. Are we finally now going to let the science prevail? Is the president going to say it's time for the scientists to be listened to, including by myself, uh, that, that we have a stark landscape in front of us. And also, let's take a look also at the effect of this on the rest of the world, because it is going to be noticed. There are movements in Great, Great Britain, in the UK right now, saying, open up, open up. We don't want to be locked down anymore. Uh, this is going on in other places, too. It's very hard to imagine that after this, that there is not going to be around the world another look at, at a cavalier approach that we must start to do what the scientists have told us, what the epidemiologists have told us. This, this is DEFCON 1 in terms of the health of the people of the United States, in terms of our political health. A big part of the administration, arm of the administration, quite frankly, has been uh, conservative media. And as I understand now, um, well, what I'm trying to understand is how they are going to portray this now. Are they going to continue on with the messaging of the president and carrying the water of the president by downplaying this virus? Or will they now turn to scientists? Well, I think the president's technique, often mirrored by his media allies, is that every day is a new day. Every day is a new show. Forget the day before. His chief of staff, Mark Meadows, is one of them who has been obviously constantly around the president as he was getting ready for the debate. But, Don, he's also been on Capitol Hill with the Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett. And I think we have a picture to show you just how many levels of power are going to be involved in this and may potentially have to quarantine. There you see it. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell on the right, the Supreme Court nominee in the center. And then on the left, you see the president's three top aides, the Vice President Mike Pence, Mark Meadows, and the guy on the left in the red tie is the White House counsel, Pat Cipollone. Sanjay, you mentioned hydroxychloroquine. The president took it. Um, it did It did not work. Now, listen, I don't mean to that in a, you know, I'm not being facetious, but it did not, it obviously does not work and did not work for him. Is this now a moment of reckoning that, yes, this is real. It is not a hoax. It doesn't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. It is time to take this seriously and all the preventative measures that the scientists, the doctors like Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, have been touting 
for so long. They've got to continue to be fully transparent in terms of his symptoms. And we'll see, you know, uh, we saw what happened with Boris Johnson in the UK after he contracted the disease. Note on the president's schedule, he was supposed to today have a fundraiser uh, here in Washington and then travel to Florida tonight for a rally. Those events have been canceled. Uh, He was supposed to be in Wisconsin tomorrow and then have a very aggressive run of campaign events, rallies, etc. next week, including a West Coast swing. Those all now in doubt, almost certainly to be canceled. He likely will be sidelined for at least 10 days, if not longer. And that's, of course, if he doesn't get sick, if he doesn't show symptoms. And it completely throws the last month or so of this election into chaos. Will there be two more general election debates? Hard to say at this moment. Perhaps not. Will there be any sort of semblance of campaign events or rallies from either side the rest of the way? That's difficult to to suggest as well. Uh, So this is a president who has spent uh, nearly a year downplaying the threat of the virus, at least publicly. Uh, And yet he, of course, is now sidelined from it. And we should note the one event that is still on a schedule today is a phone call with with the White House is describing COVID-19 vulnerable seniors. Of course, the president Mm -hmm. himself is now one of those people. Well, and and of course, we also, Mika, uh, we're talking about the campaign, but also, again, it's very important for everyone that has been exposed, especially uh, when you're talking about the Supreme Court nominee, the President Trump Supreme Court nominee. Has she been exposed? Has Mitch McConnell been exposed? It sounds like they likely have. And if that's the case, uh, that's something that obviously pushes uh, any any. Uh, hearings uh, uh, back at least two weeks, at least three weeks. The president obviously telling us uh, from the debate stage on Tuesday night he wants to expedite Mm -hmm. her nomination as quickly as possible because he wants her vote on any challenge that he has to the outcome of election results. Um, I, I, again, with if we do the contact tracing, it seems that that is unlikely uh, to happen over the next few weeks, at least until um, everybody is cleared. We'll see another closed-door fundraiser inside, not outside. And then he goes to the rally that was mostly outside in an airport hangar. And then she, uh, and again, we don't know if she is the person who, she's, as far as we know, she's just the first one who tested positive. We don't know if she is the one who actually spread it to others. It could have been the president who spread it to her. And, but 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 you understand that she actually started getting symptoms on Air Force One on the way back or was feeling bad and was still allowed to get on Air Force One and, quote unquote, quarantine on the plane. So it's not clear if she started feeling symptoms on the flight there while they were at the rally or on the way back. We just know that once they had already been in route to Minnesota, we're told that's when she started to feel symptomatic. And we are told that she quarantined. But I really want to stress that we don't know exactly what that okay. means because you're on an airplane. Right. It's not you can't really quarantine. There's not a ton of room on Air Force One. There's not just suites that you can go into. So we are still trying to figure out what that means. But that is what we are told by yeah. sources so far. Yeah, I think it's as important to know to point out what we do know uh, as what we don't know, because there's an awful lot that we don't know at this hour. But it is fascinating. So as far as we know, she's the first person to feel symptoms, or she's really the only person we know at this point feeling symptoms coming back Wednesday. You and I had talked earlier in the night before it was revealed that the president and first lady have tested positive. Um, They usually in the White House get tested, you said, in the morning. So do we know, was Hope Hicks feeling badly 
Wednesday and not tested till Thursday, or do we know when she was tested? So that's why this whole situation is raising questions about what we've been told about the testing policy at the White House, because they had said previously, and we had actually checked this out with people who actually were tested, that it was basically every morning they came in and if they were going to be meeting with the president, they would get tested beforehand. So, of course, they would know before they were in proximity of the president. But for Hope Hicks to not start feeling well until she's already on the way there, she likely would have been tested yesterday at the White House. So it's not clear if that was a test that she got and it was a negative result or what happened there. But then, of course, today, here's the question about the president's test, Anderson. And this is more important, I believe, tonight, because the president didn't seem to get tested until after this was already reported in the media. He told Sean Hannity in an interview after we spoke, that was in the 9 o'clock hour, that he had just been tested and so had the first lady. And they were still waiting on their results. And that's why we didn't get them until closer to 1 a.m. Eastern time. So it seems like they waited until it was publicly available. Wait a minute. That's relying on the president's honesty for when he got tested. If the president, you're, what you're saying is the president told Sean Hannity, oh, well, I, I, we just got tested and we're waiting on it. Yeah. Uh, but he's the only one saying that. No one else has confirmed that because that seems highly unlikely. If Hope Hicks is, if people in the White House, there was, there's reporting that a small group of people knew Thursday morning that Hope Hicks had tested positive. If clearly the president knew it, there's no way. I mean, if if the president of the United States wasn't immediately tested once Hope Hicks was positive, that's that's criminally negligent. I mean, that's just that would be a huge breach of security. And if he was tested, he was still allowed to go to New Jersey for a small fundraiser with a smaller staff, which I guess indicates they knew there might be a problem. And Kelly McEnany still gave a briefing to reporters. She was there on the trip and potentially had exposure. So it becomes very important as to when exactly the president knew and when the president got tested. Exactly, because we were told that a very small group of officials knew Thursday morning that Hope Hicks had tested positive. So despite that, the president still went around 1 p.m., Thursday afternoon to New Jersey for this endorsed fundraiser. So we've asked, you know, what was the president aware of this? They knew that Hope Hicks had been feeling symptomatic on the flight back. That was something that was well known among the people who were on Air Force One. And we've reached out to the White House press office to ask if Kaylee McEnany was one of those officials who knew Thursday morning that Hope Hicks had tested positive, yet held a briefing around 1130 with reporters without wearing a mask anyway, and did not inform us about what had transpired and did not even even inform the reporters who had been on Air Force One with Hicks on Wednesday night in separate cabins, granted, but still sharing the same plane that she had tested positive. They found out from the media. Sanjay, you know, obviously we have you have done more than anybody uh, extensive discussion of the importance of wearing masks, social distancing. We have pointed out time and time again that the fact that the White House has not been abiding by that, uh, though the president has as much as possible, been uh, isolated, although clearly uh, not as much as others who wear masks constantly. We see this video of Hope Hicks, you know, they're walking in a gaggle to Marine One uh, on Wednesday. Nobody's wearing a mask. They're on the helicopter. They're on Air Force One. She starts feeling symptoms. Uh, Nevertheless, the president still goes Thursday, even after the White House knows she has tested positive, that the president has been exposed. I mean, 
from a medical standpoint, what do, what do you make of this? Well, this, uh, you know, uh, obviously shows a lack of lack of cautious, caution by the, the people who, who you're seeing here not wearing the masks. It's, it's very concerning if what Caitlin's reporting that, you know, who knew what when in terms of their own status. Um, people uh, obviously should be cautious regardless, but this idea that people may have known that they came in contact with someone with COVID, basic public health protocols are very clear on this. You've got to quarantine yourself at that point. I think the point that you're making, Anderson, and it doesn't sound like that happened. And that's regardless of whether your test results come back, right? Now you know. And, and if, this, if it worked in this country like it works in other places where you, you had adequate contact tracing, at the point that someone was diagnosed, people who were in contact with them would be told, you now need to quarantine. By the way, it doesn't matter if your test comes back negative today or tomorrow. You still need to quarantine because you could have a positive test a few days from now based on the exposure here. So and just, uh, Sanjay, at the from- minimum, there was a lack of caution uh, right. at, a, at a, you know, if you sort of look at this, this whole scenario, did they just sort of throw caution to the wind here and say, you know, we're going to uh, hope that, uh, you know, the, this transmission didn't happen? I don't know. It's, it's tough to say, but you're absolutely right. Confined settings, no masks, highly contagious virus, now known that there's a person who has the disease, uh, things should have happened. And, and this has been a pattern, you know, that we've seen over and over again, Anderson, as you point out. But we need to have full transparency now going forward because it's not just the health of the people that we're talking about right now. It's many, many, many more people now. Yeah. It's people and who I- came in contact with people with COVID. It's their family members now. There's tough discussions that are probably happening in households at the highest levels of government right now because of what is transpiring. And, and Dana, this is where transparency and the record of, of the administration is so damaging right now because, you know, we have seen them time and again lie about stuff. Even the president's health, we don't really know much about. He goes to the hospital, mm-hmm. and I believe it was back in November, for a surprise visit. Uh, nobody says what it really was for. Even his medical records, we're not really sure about some of the stuff his doctor has said, uh, uh, the details mm-hmm. of it. Um, it. They need to be transparent, and it's very. it doesn't even seem at this point that they've been transparent just in, in so far. Not at all. I mean, the the problem, as you and Sanjay and Caitlin laid it out, are twofold. Number one is it's very alarming from a medical point of view, not only because of the health of the president of the United States and the first lady, but as Sanjay said, everybody who came in contact with them and then everybody who came in contact with them. Uh, But it's also alarming because we there's so many unanswered questions. And the fact that we had to get this information about Hope Hicks, who is among the closest people to the president of the United States uh, in terms of the relationship and physicality, that we had to get this by source. Uh, and it was kind of, you know, leaked out instead of doing it in a formal, responsible way at the time when they found out, or at least close to it, at least in a way that could protect more people around them is I, I want to say it's unbelievable, but it is rather believable, given everything that we have seen, the way that the White House uh, from the president on down has uh, behaved with regard to treating this virus in a serious manner uh, right. uh, until this point. And, 
and and the fact that you have to ask the question, which was a really legitimate question of Caitlin, well, how do we even know that the president is telling the truth when he told Sean Hannity he was just tested? I think that speaks volumes. Well, and I'm, I'm not saying that to, to be, you know, catty. Uh, it's just that no, if, it's, it's a if really people, important in, question. people in the White House knew Thursday morning that Hope Hicks had text, tested positive and that she, you know, mm-hmm. everybody knew she'd been with the president Tuesday, Wednesday, um, I find it incomprehensible that they would have allowed the president of the United States to go for the entire day of Thursday w- without getting tested until just before he went on Sean Hannity. Uh, I mean, that just seems. It's his own dereliction is um, partly to blame for this. He chose to go out to rallies. He chose to uh, downplay masks. He chose to not social distance uh, and, and call it a hoax and so on and so forth. But, you know, again, it's horrible that the president has this, but he chose to handle the situation this way. Uh, people in the West Wing and the administration saying it's frowned upon to wear masks. Was this inevitable? I wouldn't say it's inevitable, uh, but certainly his recklessness uh, has contributed to, to this horrible situation. But I think we need to look at one thing immediately. We are now in the midst of a national security crisis that is different than anyone in our history in this country. Uh, we have to be concerned about adversaries, particular, particularly Russia, uh, taking advantage of this situation for its own purposes. Uh, we have to think about possible cyber manipulation of the markets. Uh, you've talked about the markets, and obviously this is going to have a huge effect on, on the markets. We don't know the future of this election campaign. It depends on the president's health. We don't know what his health is going to be. It's going to totally upend uh, the end of the election campaign. So every aspect of our national life in terms of stability mm-hmm. is now affected in ways that we could never have envisioned a day ago. Mm-hmm. And I think we need mm-hmm. to start uh, from, from that perspective. Uh, the political equation, of course, what you're talking about is there as well, uh, because his conduct in the handling of this virus is now even more front and center uh, of the election campaign uh, than it ever has been. But first, uh, let's look at all the implications in terms of our national security. I'm sure there are all kinds of alerts that have gone out, both military and civilian. Uh, The vice president, I'm sure, is is now uh, under a different regime than he was hours ago. Um, So as this unfolds, it's going to be new to all of us. Do we still have Caitlin Collins with us or did Caitlin have to go do more reporting? Okay, uh, so let, let me hey, put. Don, it is notable that Melania Trump did just tweet. Yeah, that's what I, I want to read. This. Good, she we says, are feeling good. She's- the fact that it's tight quarters, but the the sheer number of people who work in the West Wing who could potentially come into contact with the president on a daily basis. Just put that in perspective for us. What this could mean to how the West Wing will or will not be functioning this morning. It's almost incalculable. I was thinking about this, uh, the ripple effects of what we have learned uh, overnight. And it is the West Wing, of course, first and foremost. And we should say that we, you know, we obviously uh, hope that the president and the first lady are are doing well and hope Hicks as well. Um, But the fact is that uh, when I talk about the ripple effects, it is that there are people in the West Wing 
They're members of the cabinet, people in the West Wing who went to Capitol Hill, who met with senior leaders uh, of the Senate leadership uh, and I believe the House leadership. And then let's just add the third branch of government in, or the, the woman who wants to be on the third branch of government, Amy Coney Barrett, the president's nominee to take Ruth Bader Ginsburg's spot on the Supreme Court, has been at the White House. She has also been on Capitol Hill. So you have all of those just on, on surface level, uh, all of those top people who have been potentially exposed who are undoubtedly going to be asking their doctors, do I have to quarantine? So what if Mitch McConnell, uh, the top Republican in the Senate, has to quarantine? What if Amy Coney Barrett, uh, the nominee, has to quarantine? What if the president's chief of staff, the vice president? I mean, those are not far-fetched notions. Sanjay and, and Dr. Reiner can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, these people have been in contact in recent days. Yeah, and, and Dr. Reiner, to you, and again, we just looked at some of those pictures and we can show much more of them. What Dan is talking about is the entire top strata of the U.S. government, uh, certainly of Republican leadership who have been in close contact with the president over the last week. Dr. Reiner, I suppose the president, yeah. the first we learned or were told that the president tested positive was last night. Again, we're hampered by the fact that we get unreliable information from the White House. But if that is true, that's the first time they tested positive. What does that tell us about when he may have been infected himself? Is it possible he has been pre-symptomatic for days? Or Hope Hicks as well. How far could this have spread? Uh, certainly that's important. And actually, there's a key piece of data that we have to have, which is when was the last time the president was tested and was negative? We know that uh, Dr. Conley and his team test the president very frequently for uh, the coronavirus. The reason it's important is that if he actually tested negative on Tuesday, the day of the day of the debate, and it was a, a true negative, he was really likely probably not infectious on on Tuesday. And that has uh, consequences for others that uh, attend to that, particularly the former vice president and, and anyone else uh, in the room that day. So it would be very important for the White House to tell us when the last time the president tested uh, negative. Um, the, the White House is going to have to test everybody on Air Force One, everyone on Marine One. Uh, Dr. Brian Monahan, the physician for Congress, is going to have to start testing everyone who has been a secondary contact along the way. So there's a lot of work to be done. I, I do want to emphasize, first of all, that uh, you know, I too wish uh, the president and the first lady very well, but there's no reason to panic now. Uh, the president is likely to do fine, as is uh, the first lady. And there are systems in place to monitor him in the White House, video conferencing so he can continue to work if he feels well. And then finally, constitutional processes that allow for the temporary transfer of power to the vice president, should the president not feel up to the job for several days. We can go ahead and assume that presidential debates in all likelihood will now be canceled. Presidential travel will likely now be canceled. We're 30 days out. What's running through your mind as a medical professional? Brian, good to see you again. Uh, so many things. Uh, first of all, I, I, I want to make sure that the most important thing here is that the president and the first lady and everybody that might have been exposed Hope Hicks that they're that they're doing okay. 
And so and it's glad, I'm glad to hear that it sounds like they're doing okay. Hope Hicks, I'd like to better understand what her symptom profile is. Having said all that, this raises the specter of when did Hope Hicks actually come down with COVID-19? When was she when was she displaying symptoms? Unless we trace the steps then of her actions, where was she? Because this is bigger than just the president, the first lady, their inner circle on Air Force One, every one of whom now must be quarantined requisite 14 days, regardless of what the test shows. I want them to be quarantined for 10 to 14 days because this is a high risk exposure. Brian, we were talking about this 45 minutes ago before the, the president's test came back positive. So that's number one. Let's retrace the steps because that's it's critical to do that for a few reasons. Did the vice president's team and everybody in Case Western, were they exposed? Because it's not hard to, uh, to turn back the tape and say, my goodness, if Hope Hicks was symptomatic on Wednesday, say, morning or afternoon, people, especially young people, go through a phase where they're what we call pre-symptomatic. And that can be for a period of time, 24 hours. Who knows? It's uncertain based on the individual. It, they can be pre-symptomatic but infected, infectious to others after they've been exposed. So you get exposed then you, the virus incubates for as short as potentially 24 hours, and then you're maybe pre-symptomatic for who knows how long before you develop symptoms, if you develop symptoms. So Hope Hicks, if she was close to the president on the day of the debate, this changes the ballgame in terms of what the vice president's team should be doing. And then finally, I'll say, Brian, if the president's team knew that, he, that Hope Hicks was positive and that they were all in close contact with her, why did he go to an event today? And willingly, I mean, volitionally, frankly, expose other individuals at a fundraiser. To me, I don't understand that. What's what's the medical advice that he's getting from Dr. Connolly and others? Who is encouraging him to do that? Because at that moment, when Hope Hicks turns up positive and symptomatic, that should have raised alarm bells and a five alarm fire that everybody should shelter in place until we get testing. And then even then, we should repeat testing over a period of time. So this is a big deal. Uh, doctor, what's our assurance? And I guess absent facts and a, a fuller statement from the White House, we have none. What's our assurance? Are we just assuming that Hope Hicks was the person, the means of transmission to the president, given the ground he has covered all those he has come in contact with? It's a great point. We're, we're flying blind to Brian. Who knows? That's the simple question. Maybe Hope Hicks was in, exposed to somebody at a, uh, from somebody at a rally or from another staffer. And then it just because of her high profile, it's been identified that she's now COVID positive with symptoms. It's unclear. We have no idea, which is why everybody in their inner circle must be quarantined and tested. I'm not saying it for any other benefit than their own health and the health of their loved ones, number one. But then we need to identify and do a massive contact tracing effort to see who they may have exposed. In addition to the vice president's team, everyone at each of their families, because their families were that in that enclosed space. This changes everything. But yes, the presidential race has been fundamentally altered tonight. There should be no more in-person gatherings for the remainder of the season. And my biggest concern here is if the president remains asymptomatic, that he may use it to tamp down the seriousness of the infection, because let's be clear here, let's make let's hope everybody stays well and healthy. But this was preventable. They were not wearing masks 
masks per report on the flight. They've been saying uh, mocking masks in some cases. The fact that this even occurred is a damning indictment and 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 unfortunately kind of a we told you so reality based on their months and months of mis, uh, uh, misrepresenting good public health practice. I mean, this was avoidable. This did not have to happen if they were propering, practicing the proper procedures and not going to these rallies and having these chaotic events where, of course, airborne exposure was going to happen, even if it was in an outdoor setting. No masking, no distancing. What did they expect was going to happen? I'm old enough to remember this afternoon when the lead story was the president's inability <laughs> and his press secretary's inability to, using clear language, denounce uh, hate groups within our midst. Yeah, Brian. I mean, it's interesting. We, we talk about October surprises, right? This is going to be like a nesting doll, Russian nesting doll of, of surprises. This has been we, we've said this so many times over the last four years. This might be the worst 24 hours uh, in the Trump presidency. He's not only because I think it's important to mention it's not just that he wouldn't condemn white nationalists. But if you ask the white nationalists themselves, including the Patriot Prayer Groups and the, and the Proud Boys, he actually told them to stand by and be ready at his beck and call. So we have a president who's called for terrorists, a president who has mocked uh, the coronavirus and its impact, a president who lied about it just two weeks ago, we were talking about it, and a president who now is in what we know to be the quarantine process. Brian, I can tell you, I've always said that I don't think there's many undecided voters left. I, I think most people know what they're going to do. They're either going to vote or not vote. But I think the chaos surrounding this presidency right now, the, the, the utter irony of a president who mocked mask wearing 48 hours ago, possibly now having to go through the painful process that millions of Americans have gone through. Hopefully he survives, clearly, he and his wife and everyone around. But if he has to go through the coronavirus process, this is almost a nail in the coffin of his incompetence in handling the virus. And if that's the most important issue to voters, and it seems to be right now, this could be the death knell of a functional campaign by Donald Trump going forward. This is, this is a terrible day for Republicans across the board. Hey, Tim, I'm reminded again earlier today and recorded remarks for the annual, uh, well, the, the semi-regular Al Smith dinner in New York, uh, coronavirus uh, has made for the exception. Uh, the president said uh, that the end of the pandemic is in sight. As they say in Washington, he might want to revise and extend his remarks. It might embrace a more uh, logical approach to coronavirus? Well, I think this is uncharted territory. The president, of course, said that there was going to be a miracle that, that did away with this virus. He's been trying to put the virus and this pandemic in the rearview mirror, saying that essentially the United States is getting through this. And now he himself has to contend with the fact that as the president of the United States, he could not protect himself from getting this virus. That's a remarkable statement. The president has been saying that he's going to keep Americans safe. And now at this point, he hasn't been able to keep himself safe. And that, that underscores how this this virus um, is really infecting and touching Americans of, of across socioeconomic lines, across um, across gender and racial lines. The fact that the president has all of these resources is essentially the most protected American in the country. The fact that the virus could infect him, it, it really upends the, the president's argument that this virus is something that maybe is going to be going away and not to be taken too seriously. It's, I guess, in some ways, it's really hard to tell whether or not the president is going to change his tone because...
And as we go to our first break, I'm going to play a song that my wife found, and I want to thank her for it. It's really, really good. Um, um, who the hell is it? Damn, Tony, you suck. Uh, hold on a second. Uh, who, who did this? Fuck your feelings, and I found it yesterday. Let me pause. Heather Lay, Fuck Your Feelings. I love this song. We will come back in to the worst of the worst, which is trumped by the worst of the worst of the worst for our This Is America. This is predominantly CNN. They will be excited, so excited for this. Because remember, these are the Solinsky people. Let no crisis go to waste. Everything is political, including Christmas Day. And they want this person to die. Like in the generation's years, like I'm a millennial. I'm not proud of it. I'm kind of embarrassed. I don't know what the fuck happened. But I wrote a song to, to, to the millennials, to the Generation Z, an uplifting life advice song. It's called Fuck Your Feelings. We went from several generations of hardworking Americans to a bunch of young fucking wussies who live at home with their moms until they're fucking 31 and can't take a punch because they're pussies. Can't make them get a job even though they're all in debt and they'll lecture you about being politically correct. They're crying and whining, it's gotten pretty scary So here's a song for all the fucking fairies Fuck your feelings No one gives a fuck about your issues, your problems, your shitty fucking luck This generation's fucked, we're a bunch of fucking weaklings So wipe your tears and fuck your fucking feelings That's right, fuck your feelings Fuck your feelings too Don't affect me, but we don't need a thousand terms for your sexuality. We're so damned emotional, been crying for a while. But the world can't run on rainbows and unicorn smiles. There's a solution if you shut up and listen. Put the effort in a job that you're putting into bitching. Suck it up, buttercup. Do this and you'll be fine. Go up there and wipe the tears from your vagina. That's right, fuck your feelings. No one gives a fuck about your issues, your problems, your shitty fucking luck. This generation's fucked, we're a bunch of fucking weaklings. So wipe your tears and fuck your fucking feelings. That's right. Wipe your tears and fuck your fucking feelings. Sing it with me. Wipe your tears and fuck your fucking feelings. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed.
Meadows did acknowledge that the president is experiencing symptoms of coronavirus, not just the positive test, but he has symptoms. Uh, he said those are mild symptoms. Uh, of course, there's a real question of, of, of exactly what you can believe in terms of, of how they are characterizing this. John, uh, you know, I believe uh, firmly that this is a national security risk and issue at this point. So I, I do think that we need information about the president's health. Uh, we know that uh, President Trump has not been transparent about his health in general, and he has admitted that he downplayed this virus so people wouldn't panic. Now, does this mean that he will downplay his own symptoms? How can we trust any of the information that is coming out of the White House? I personally would prefer to hear information from uh, doctors, not necessarily his physician, his personal physician, but maybe physicians at Walter Reed or Dr. Fauci. Sonny, the, the sad truth is that we really can't trust at face value what comes out of the White House on this. Uh, I think we have to ask the questions, uh, and we will continue to do so. Uh, we will try to verify all the answers that we get. Uh, but there's been so much misinformation uh, that, 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 has, that has gone out uh, you know, about the virus, about the pandemic, um, about things like voter suppression. Uh, I, it's, it's really hard to know what to believe. John, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking on social media and I'm seeing, um, you know, to your point, to your previous point, I'm seeing some people uh, reacting with skepticism and disbelief. Some people think this is a play for sympathy or to distract from what's been a very, very bad news week for the president. So what, what would you tell Americans who are skeptical and disbelieving? What's, uh, how do you think Americans should be reacting to this news from the White House, given everything we know? Well, you know, Anna, I think that one of the sad things that we have seen happen in our country over the past uh, four or five years is we have seen, I, just, I talk in my book at length about a war on truth uh, that has been waged to the point where you have, um, we, we kind of become a nation of conspiracy theorists. Uh, you have people who will not believe anything that is coming out of the White House for the reasons that I described. And then you have uh, another part of the country that won't believe anything that they read in a newspaper or, or see on a, on a show like this. En el debate en el que estuvo con uh, Joe Biden se burló incluso de él por usar mascarilla. Cuéntanos sobre eso. Sí, le dijo a Joe Biden que él se ponía mascarilla demasiado, que siempre tenía la cara cubierta. Vamos a, a oír un poquito de lo que le dijo. You have to understand, if you look, I mean, I have a mask right here. I put a mask on, you know, when I think I need it. Ahí dijo, aquí tengo mi máscara y me la pongo cuando creo que la necesito. In the past, when the president has become seriously ill, what's happened? How many times has something like this happened in our nation's history? Well, the last time a president's life was in this much jeopardy was in 1981, when Ronald Reagan was shot in Washington, D.C., outside the Washington Hilton. We have never seen a president this sick so soon, so close to an election. But there are two scenarios I worry about, Savannah. First is the scenario like what happened to the UK Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, where he got so sick he had to go into intensive care. If the president is incapacitate, incapacitated, Mike Pence, the VP, would become the acting president. 
That's only happened three times in recent history. If the worst case scenario does come true and the president might be unable to temporarily do his job, what is the exact next step that happens? How far down the line uh, are, is the line of succession? Do they get planned for something like this? What would happen if the vice president were to become unable to fill in for President Trump? Well, then you're in the deep woods of the 25th Amendment. The House Speaker, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, is uh, next in line of succession. There would be a written declaration that the president and the vice president are unable to discharge their duties. Nancy Pelosi would resign and become acting president. The good part of this is, if there's any silver lining to this, Craig, is that we've got a constitutional system. If something, God forbids, happened to a president and or a vice president or then a speaker of the House, president pro tem of the Senate, then you go through the cabinet in order basically of seniority. So there is a line of succession. The republic would be secure. The White House has taken precious few precautions to avoid the virus. The president and his top advisors are almost never seen wearing masks. During the debate, President Trump even mocked Joe Biden for frequently using face coverings in public. I don't wear masks like him. Every time you see him, he's got a mask. He could be speaking 200 feet away from it. He shows up with the biggest mask I've ever seen. <laughs> the president has also maintained a jam-packed schedule, holding many crowded events with few safety measures. Now sidelined from the campaign trail during this critical closing stretch. Beyond his health, the president's diagnosis is a crushing blow to his effort to convince Americans that the worst of the pandemic is behind them. The president is about to lose likely some very critical time in this final stretch of the campaign. And it is also a huge blow to his central message on the virus. He has been out there arguing that the country is rounding the corner, as he says, on this pandemic and that he can tackle this crisis. The fact that he now has a positive result completely undercuts his message on the virus. This comes after months of the president downplaying the pandemic to the American people, claiming he didn't want to cause more panic. And of course, the president has attended crowded rallies, rarely seen in public wearing a mask, despite recommendations from top health officials, often heard mocking Joe Biden for wearing one as, last, as late as the last debate on Tuesday night. This morning, the president is learning in the worst possible way you can't argue your way out of this pandemic. The president's positive test comes after months of a dangerous gamble downplaying COVID-19, floating public health regulations, and minimizing the dangers of the virus. For the record, I hated Obama. I hated Clinton. I hated Hillary. I never wished they'd die. After listening to all of that, I want you to really think of yourself. Just think. Why wouldn't they give him COVID? In my heart, 100%, somebody from the left gave the President of the United States COVID. That's what I believe. A man surrounded by tests, everybody gets tests, everything is a test. Even when he's at a rally, he doesn't touch anybody. Everybody who does touch him is a test. My wife eloquently put, the debate, the microphone. His people don't touch the microphone. Somebody else does. To get in there, you had to be tested. You had to go through the whole testing. And as you heard on my intro, I don't think I'm the only person to think that's how he got it. They want the momentum stopped. They're scared they're going to lose the election. 
he's campaigning. Biden isn't campaigning. Because between me, you, and the wall, we've said multiple times on the show, I think the motherfucker got it because he was sick as fuck and he didn't do shit for a couple weeks and he stayed in his basement and he looks like shit. So what do they do? October surprise. We infect the president of the United States. Probably won't die, but he'll stop for two weeks. And then we politicize it. Chuck Schumer already came off the horn saying, oh, oh, we can't do the uh, nomination because uh, the president's sick. It wouldn't be right. Even though the president has nothing to do with fucking nominating ACB. Everything became political. The shitheads on fucking the left just jerked off to this. All Twitter showed you who these people are and we're supposed to give them power because they care about us they care about the american people they're all about the middle class is going to help us all that's that's what we're told But a president gets sick and they take and use it for every political recourse ever. I want you just for two seconds to think. Could. Could. Anybody had gone on the air at Fox if Obama would have got swine flu, H1N1, and said, well, if he would have taken care of the American people better, this wouldn't have happened. I mean, knowing all we know about COVID and how they tried to stop him from letting people not come in the country from China. What did he do to give 200,000 people a death sentence? Where do you have proof of any of that? Remember, it's 200 million. That's what Biden says. Literally think about it. It's, it's fucking disgusting, but they want the power. We're supposed to give them the power, a media establishment and a left cabal of violent haters that don't only hate the candidate, they hate you. It's always about you, a Christian, uh, a woman who doesn't vote the way they want, a gay person, they kill their own people. During the whole Floyd thing, we've had people from every ethnicity and every classification get the fucking beat down. Grandma with a BLM sign in a walker, beaten. I hate being Alex Jones. Because that's what I feel like for the second day in a row. But the hate that they have done, the amount of instruction, everything they've done for a hundred, one hundred, as the young people say, they gave them this. And they did it on purpose because they think they're going to lose the election. Remember, Obama was not going to lose the election, but they ran with the 47% and he blocked groups from being able to fucking do shit during the election and then blame the video for a 
the murder of four of Americans, all during an election. He didn't need to do any of that. But these people are so scared of giving up power. Because A, they hate America, and B, they know that nobody is really for what they're doing. We say it each podcast. They don't talk about the guns. They don't talk about the border. They don't talk about making everybody illegal. They don't talk about getting rid of the filibuster. They don't talk about getting rid of the electoral college. They don't talk about packing the courts. He won't answer that question. Biden won't. But they don't talk about it because they know nobody wants it. But that's what they want to do because, remember, they're the smartest people in the room. And they want to tell you how to live and what to eat and how to drive and the Green New Deal and all this bullshit. Nobody's for it. So they never run on their policies. They run on fear. He's a fascist while they're being a fascist. And they will do anything to get power. If you question my words, George Floyd riots 2020. Even when it backfired, as we'll see today, and they try to twist it on a bunch of white supremacists burned down Minneapolis somehow, they're non-fucking stop. Non fucking stop. They would do anything to get the White House and to get the Senate. And giving Trump COVID to slow him down, and for most of them, hoping that he dies. Well, that's just a fucking drop in the bucket compared to all the fucking shit they've done. So. I originally had a soundbite about the debates because they're still gnashing teeth about debates. And I got to admit, I, I, I just literally, just literally can't. Plus we have so much, so much content today because we have to move on to other things. We won't play that soundbite. Okay. Um, in reference to the debate. But we will cover our next debate, which probably won't happen. All right. I'm thinking it's not going to happen because Trump's not going to be out of the hospital in time unless they do it remotely, which would be a shit show. Because what we've gone to now is the fact that we're going to cut his mic. That's what the committee said. Because the committee... Once again, the committee is supposed to be made of a two-party system, but it never is. If you ever watched the West Wing, well, you would know that that's not how it works. And our next debate moderator, as we segue, is Steve Scully. Juan D. Voter. What have we here? Is that the next debate moderator chumming up with Joe Biden? And why wouldn't they be good friends? Steve Scully used to be an intern for Biden. Nothing to see here, folks. Move along. Gotta love the VP at the Biden Beach Bash 16. All sorts of pictures with him and Biden. While attending college, he served as an intern in the office of the Delaware Senator Joseph R. Biden and later a staff assistant in Senator Edward M. Kennedy's communication office. That's who the committee picked to be
be the next moderator. In the 2016 election, he tweeted, no, not Trump, not ever. We read it on the show. No, not Trump, not ever. From the New York Times, that's what he tweeted. And he is the next moderator. And I want you to, just anybody out there, tell me, would a person who's close to the president or the Republican president ever fucking become a moderator? Anybody. Will you ever see that in your life? Have you ever seen a debate where it wasn't tilted towards bashing the Republican and letting the Democrat get off? It's never happened. The gotcha questions always for conservatives. And as we'll see as we go into violence today, all they wanted to do in that debate, the last one, is make Trump look like he's for white supremacists because, once again, not doing good with black voters. So, left-wing celebs throw debate tantrums as President Trump. Some even call for violence against him. Literally, the only way to deal with him is to punch this fucker in the face. Trump needs a beating. The Hab Foundation. Adam Goldberg. This is just free airtime for Nazi scum Twitter army to screen grab memos, memes, excuse me, and gifts. Alyssa Milano. It's not a matter of if Trump's going to try to steal the election. It's how. Once again, we project they are stealing the election, but you say that. Jason Alexander, if Trump could act like a human being and adhere to rules, we as a country could actually be served. He is incapable. Mark Ruffalo, Donald had a chance to send every person in the USA mask, and he had Jared killed it and killed 200K people. How many grandmas and grandpas would still be with us? And we're still not talking about Cuomo sending people back to the old folks home. Okay. Stephen King, cutting his mic when he interrupts. Billy Eichner, this is what happens when you elect a psychopathic reality show host to run not only the country, but to dictate to us how we communicate with each other about deadly serious issues. Mira Servino, how is this person a leader of our country? What a childish industry. Disgusting Trump come from Mia Kirshner. Adam Scott, the president is a disgrace. Top 12, dump on debate and our democracy from the media. Debate moderator must withstand Trump blizzard of lies. Bully Trump unleashed an avalanche of untrue statements. These are all ABC, NBC. This one's from uh, CBS. If you're looking for decorum and decency, Trump won't give it to you. Trump bulldozed Biden, Chuck Todd. Overwhelmed by Trump's monstrous, increasingly wild and obscenity lies. Uh, number eight, Rachel Maddow. Number seven, angry, combative, rule-defying Trump turned debate into debacle, Peter Alexander. Trump performance, an insult to our democracy and a disgrace. Good morning, America. Trump set himself on fire, firebombing of the democracy. Morning, Joe. Condemning Trump obesely, immoral debate behavior. Van Jones. Dumpster fire shit show on live TV. Trump took a dump on the debate. CNN again. Gross debate take. Trump urinated on the democracy.
He is not participating in a re-election campaign. He is arguing that he should stay in office and the election should be negated. He treated the debate that way with a monstrous, just cavalcade of increasingly wild and obscene lies, including lying about the president's, the vice president's dead son um, in Iraq um, as a way of trying to score points on it while, um, while that part of the debate arrived. There's something beyond fact-checking that needs to happen here. This is the sort of thing that shouldn't happen. This sort of debate shouldn't happen in a democracy, um, not one in which we decide, in which we think that we choose between candidates based on them proposing competing sides of an. So I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if this is the last presidential debate between the president of the United States and the former vice president of the United States. But we shall see fairly soon. Uh, Joe Biden clearly showed up today. He went head to head with the president of the United States, uh, who was often put on the defensive, interrupting the vice president repeatedly. Uh, This will certainly be a relief to a lot, a lot of the Biden supporters who are going into this debate fairly nervous. Uh, The uh, former vice president clearly showed up. Jake, a lot to analyze and discuss. Wolf, that was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire inside a train wreck. That was the worst debate I have ever seen. In fact, it wasn't even a debate. It was a disgrace. Um, And it's primarily because of President Trump, uh, who spent the entire time interrupting, not abiding by the rules that he agreed to, lying, maliciously attacking the son of the vice president. When asked to uh, condemn white supremacists, Uh, He brought up the name of a neo-fascist far-right group and said, stand back and stand by. Um, I will talk about who won the debate, who lost the debate, but I can tell you one thing for sure. The American people lost tonight because that was horrific. You just took the words out of my mouth. Um, You used some high-minded language. I'm just going to say it like it is. That was a shit show. And, you know, we're on cable. We can say that. Apologies for being um, maybe a little bit crude. But that is really the, the phrase that I'm getting, more, you know, from people on both sides of the aisle on text. And it's the only phrase that I can think of to really describe it. And it, the, one final thought before we throw it to Anderson. At the end there, when Chris Wallace was pressing the president uh, ably on the idea of would he concede if he loses, Joe Biden said, yes, of course I will. The president wouldn't. And what occurred to me is the thought that, The president does not think he's going to win this election, and he wants to bring the rest of us down with him. Jake, thank you very much. Um, David Axrod, I mean, I don't think we've ever seen a president of the United States completely lacking in shame. I mean, just shameless and obesely immoral. I mean, there's not a moral fiber in this man. I don't know what came out of this debate. I don't know what side won. I don't know what voters want. But you cannot have watched that debate, I I would think, and be proud of our president, the way he thinks of us as viewers, as Americans, who are trying to decide about the future of the country. Can anybody come away from that debate knowing what Donald Trump wants for the next four years? Um, does this does any of this surprise you? Anderson? No, but to see I mean, it on the such guy who was on that stage, the moment. guy who was on that stage tonight is the guy we've seen for four years. Rick Santorum predicted 
what he would do. The question is, Rick, whether he overtorqued it and went overboard. I would say way overboard, and I don't think that he is going to profit from this. I think Donald Trump may have ended his presidency tonight. But no, but it's not even it, funny. I mean, do you, not, are you actually proud look, of the president I, I think, of the United States? I think the president overplayed his hand tonight. Look, I, here's 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 what I saw on stage tonight. What I saw was a president who, uh, and he, and you can just hear it by him reciting the things that have happened to him throughout the presidency. This this Durham report, all the things that are going on. He feels like he has been mistreated and uh, and by the prior yeah, administration. All narcissists by, and all psychopaths I, I'm feel just telling that, you, he, but it's not, doesn't make it I, true. Number two, only three things happened for me tonight. Number one, Donald Trump refused to condemn white supremacy. Number two, the president of the United States refused to condemn white supremacy. Number three, the commander in chief refused to condemn white supremacy on the global stage in front of my children, in front of everybody's families. And he was given the opportunity multiple times to condemn white supremacy. And he gave a wink and a nod to a racist, Nazi, murderous organization that is now celebrating online. Chaos in Cleveland. President Trump and Joe Biden head-to-head in the most unpresidential debate ever. It is hard to find the words to describe what we saw on that debate stage last night. Well, one word comes to mind. How about disgrace? Mm -hmm. It was an absolute disgrace. It was a mockery of a presidential debate, an insult to our democracy. This was a disaster. It is already being called the worst debate in modern history. Any substance was completely overshadowed by the president's interrupting. The Trump campaign is trying to say that the president put in a strong performance. The RNC went so far as to say, quote, President Trump made a confident, commanding and compelling case for his reelection. But Robin, nobody really believes that. Amazing disgrace. The first presidential debate of the season descends into chaos, insult, interruption, and confusion. A lot of words being used by Republicans and Democrats alike to describe none of it good, embarrassing, disgraceful, a train wreck. This thing quickly deteriorated. A debate focused on the highest office in the land reaching a new low. An angry President Trump repeatedly ignoring the rules, the facts, and often the moderator. One candidate came to debate. The other came to take a meat cleaver to one of our most cherished traditions in this country, the presidential debate. I do think the Commission on Presidential Debates has to look in the mirror and decide, do you have a kill button? If the president is going to do what he did last night over and over again, seems to me somebody's got to turn off the microphone. Clearly from the responses in the polling, um, the president was so much more uh, responsible for that annoyance that people felt. So if there was a winner, it was Joe Biden, who, again, if you look at the chaos and the mayhem and the unpleasantness of uh, last night, the largest share of it was the result of the president's behavior. If hearing that this debate is over was music to your ears, you may not be alone. Uh, What could have been a low point in American political discourse, certainly in any modern uh, debate we've seen, just took place over an hour and a half. If you showed up looking for a food fight, you got uh, a brawl between these two men, language that uh, we have rarely heard from candidates uh, in a a political debate. name-calling that that went to a new level uh, 
frankly, Savannah Guthrie, I'm, I'm a bit at a loss for words here. Your jaw just dropped. You can't pretend that this was a normal debate, a normal example of American democracy at, at work, a normal, you know, tussle between foes. This was different. This was a, a, an all-out grudge match. It was undignified at many times. It was cringeworthy at many times. I think we need right. to just pause for a moment and say, that was crazy. What was that? It was a train wreck. Um, but it was a train wreck of the making of one person. I mean, we know who did it. President Trump did this. Uh, and in some ways, it's the only way he knows what to do. He bulldozed over the moderator. He bulldozed over Chris Wallace. Bulldozed um, and at times flustered. Joe Biden, but I don't know if anybody wouldn't have been flustered um, by the president's behavior and the president's performance. Um, it, it, it is. It was a pure train wreck. But this was such a hot mess. You can, you can fault Joe Biden, perhaps, for letting the president get him rattled. And for I think some of the headlines actually do a disservice here. Just calling the debate chaotic, as the Wall Street Journal did, it's inaccurate. They're really no both sides here. One person drove this event to the gutter, and that was the president. If it was a train wreck, it was the president who crashed the train. If it was an S show, as our friend Dana Bash said, it was the president who took the... And thus the first presidential debate of 2020 concludes a night of chaos and interruption uh, where... So you asked me why I think the Dems would give President COVID... Well, the Dems and the media decided to flip five, six months of fucking violence on a made-up fucking right-wing white supremacist off a statement that's already been debunked by the National Security or Homeland Security saying racial violence and extremists. Those are the reasons. Those are the threats in foreign countries. We, we, we did it on the show. Molly Hemingway starts us off on this craziness and you heard it holy crap this is crazy to watch i've noticed this for years and i've been commenting on it publicly but the actual worlds that trump honors administration speak and their actions do not seem to have any influence at all on the narrative the questions the stories me on fox news of 2017 discussing this alternative reality that journalists have set up here i am on the same topic at fox news they don't care they go with narrative ben shapiro uh, what's happening? President Trump says Proud Boys should stand back and stand by when asked to condemn white supremacists. Kyle Griffin, Katie Turr, NBC on Trump. He will not say these words together. I condemn white supremacy. Ben Shapiro, Donald Trump has, in fact, condemned white supremacy repeatedly. In the exchange everyone is quoting from last night, he repeatedly said he was willing to do so. The fact that this has been obscured as journalistic malpractice. The problem is that Trump said sure instead of repeating the sentence. He then said it numerous times, said it by the end of the week, but they still ran that montage. Next article. I watched that idea burn down buildings. Blaze TV hosts react to Joe Biden's contention that Antifa is an idea. According to Joe Biden, I've spent the last three years working full-time documenting an idea, getting assaulted multiple times by an idea, receiving two concussions from that idea, having thousands of dollars of camera equipment destroyed by an idea. Antifa is one hell of an idea. I watched that idea burn down buildings, loot clothes stories, assault police officers with a bat, murder a man in cold blood, stab a black man. What kind of idea is this? What? NPR simultaneously. President Trump 
said he banned racial sensitivity training for federal workers and contractors earlier this month because it's racist. It's not racist. Experts decried the move, saying Trump is whitewashing racism in history. Critical race theory is racist, the world said. And while they're saying this, maybe blue check sports director anchor shouldn't have called GOP Senator Tim Scott Uncle Tom. Watch. Tim Scott says Trump misspoke with white supremacy remark. Should correct Proud Boys comment. Well, for what it's worth, News 12 Connecticut sports director and anchor Fred Geraghty. Sorry. Fred Geraghty doesn't care for Scott's take. Thanks, Uncle Tom. And how many times have we had Uncle Tom from the left? New York Times opinion piece discovers the truth about black bloc anarchists. The truth about today's anarchist. What a delicious irony. After four months of insanely biased news articles whitewashing the peaceful protesters terrorizing U.S. cities, New York Times finally publishes a factual piece on these anarchist punks and labels it opinion. The ability to continue to spread and to eventually bring more violence, including a violent insurgency, relies on the ability to hide in plain sight, to be confused with legitimate protests, and for media and public to minimize the threat. Here is just one from Peter J. Hassan. Mr. Quinn began studying footage of looting from around the country and saw the same black outfits and, in some cases, the same masks. He decided to go to a protest dressed like that himself to figure out what was really going on. He expected to find white supremacists who wanted to help re-elect President Trump by stoking fear of black people. What he discovered instead were true believers in insurgentary anarchism. While talking heads on television routinely describe it as a spontaneous eruption of anger and racial injustice, it was strategically planned, facilitated, and advertised on social media by anarchists who believe that their actions advance the cause of racial justice. In some cities, they were a fringe element quickly expelled by peaceful organizers. But in Washington, Portland, and Seattle, they have attracted a cult-like energy. This is the New York Times, but it was opinion. J.J. McNabb, the truth about today's anarchists. Insurrectionary anarchists have been protested for racial justice all summer. Some black leaders wish they'd go home. Alex McKean, that's the thing about insurrectionary anarchists. They make fickle allies, and they help you get into power. They will try to oust you in following days, since power is what they are against. My latest piece is about photographer who spent the last four months of black bloc anarchists in Denver, Portland, Seattle, Tulsa, Rochester, and D.C. He joined them to better understand who was setting fires, looting outside racial justice protests. He hung out in chat rooms with the Pacific Northwest Youth Liberation Front, who doesn't accept anyone over 25. In Rochester, black bloc seemed a teenage fashion fad, and Tulsa saw BLM protesters plus Trump supporters pray together. I got interested in this story because I've investigated the looting arson in Minneapolis that unfolded after George Floyd's death. I felt sure that the destruction would distract from and derail the urgent demands for racial justice. But I was wrong, at least in the short term. 
The scale of the destruction drew from attention that a peaceful protest would have. Support for peaceful organizers and Black Lives Matter soared. Corporations opened their wallets. The more I looked into the anarchy, the more I understood the strategy behind it. But as the protests have gone on, the cost of the tactics have mounted. Black leaders working inside the system of practical measures to reduce police violence have been shouted down and criticized by anarchists who want to abolish the police, not simply reform them. It made me wonder, did insurrectionary anarchists advance the cause of racial justice, or had they hijacked it? Oh, they've hijacked it. Instagram takes video of protest in Louisiana unloading riot shields. Missing context. Former CEO of Twitter openly tweeting about lining up and shooting capitalists. Me first capitalists who think you can separate society for businesses are going to be the first people lined up against the wall and shot in the revolution. I'll happily provide Vimy video commentary. AP style book ruling don't use riot. It stigmatizes broad swaths excuse me, of rioters. Focusing on rioting and property destruction rather than the underlying grievance has been used in the past to stigmatize broad swaths of people protesting against lynching, police brutality, or racial justice. Going back to urban uprisings of the 60s. Riot is a pejorative word, and you're in the middle of a riot, it would feel like a negative experience, even if you don't up in the hospital. Clearly no one at the AP has a storefront that's been vandalized. No surprise, big tech among top contributors to Biden campaign. Not Trump. So is anybody even remotely surprised that I think, wow, maybe they gave him COVID. We have been lying about everything from Russia wiretapping, Hillary's email server, the fucking phone calls, two scoops of ice cream, and the riots and every word that Trump has uttered is white supremacy. But nobody in that room, not one of them, will even read the article by the New York fucking Times. The New York fucking dimes. Does anybody for a second not think these people would do anything to get power? Even coddle up to fucking scumbags that don't even want them to have power. So, let's clear the board. Um, Let's see. Uh, We're going to play Gavin McGinnis' article, or soundbite, sent to me by my, uh, either Sean in Oregon or Matt in Oregon, a video of Anifa badasses, Jesus Christ, this is so funny, and a a Lemon Cuomo montage of limit liberal violence that once again i guess is all proud boy for the one millionth time 
The Proud Boys are a multiracial men's club with gays, Jews, Asians, blacks, browns, blah, 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 blah. The only rule with the club is that you have to be a man and you have to accept that the West is the best. That's what Western chauvinism means. I'm seeing all this talk on the news of white supremacy, white nationalists, white chauvinists. I never heard that term before. This is because it works. To call someone a Nazi seems to help because our mental obesity has gotten so bad. We're so intellectually lazy that you just go, Nazi, and that's the end of the debate. There's no debating whether the Proud Boys are racist or not. I've said this a million times. The chairman, I was forced to step down because Antifa picked a fight with Proud Boys. Three of them got in a really violent altercation that lasted 17 seconds. Mutual combat. One of them was brown. They didn't really press charges with the brown guy. That's not good for the narrative. They took the two white guys, one of them with a black family, threw them in prison for four years. Antifa were just as violent that night, much more actually. Beat up a journalist, took his stuff, no charges. That's the climate we're living in today. But at the final uh, closing statements, the judge said, this reminds me of 1930s Europe. His speech was violent. He never heard my speech. It was a comedy show. This whole thing started as a joke. It's still just a joke. The only reason there's any political anything with it is because when I would go to talks, Antifa would come and pepper spray me. So I was hanging out with my buddies. We beat them up. Then we started protecting Lauren Southern and Coulter. Ask them about Proud Boys. It was like voluntary bodyguards for the excessively violent Antifa. That's our crime. Our crime is that we didn't fight back. They told, called me the leader, said they're going to make it a gang. I, I said, okay, I'll step back. I, I basically was forced at gunpoint to step back and quit the Proud Boys. Now a black Afro-Cuban, Enrique Tario, is running the show, doing an absolutely phenomenal job. But they still stick with this incredibly idiotic trope. Calling it, Sometimes they call it multiracial white supremacy. I just saw Jake Tapper talk about how I defended Holocaust deniers and did a video called 10 Things I Hate About the Jews. Just like Mark Dwyer, Judge Mark Dwyer, not seeing the speech he was talking about, Tapper hasn't seen that video. It was the most obvious misdirect homage to Israel. I was in Israel when I did it, setting up Proud Boys Israel. And the video was, it was an homage to how wonderful Israel is and how it needs to have a better relationship with the West because we have the same, we have the same needs, the same visions of the future. That's what that video was about. Have you ever heard of satire? Ever heard of Jonathan Swift saying the, the baby should eat their young? I, I mean, the Irish should eat their young. I did an article called Divorce Your Wife that was actually about how you should reboot your marriage and recourt your wife from scratch. The real problem here is with the media and this and Joe Biden. The DNC, Antifa, they know the truth, but the Nazi thing seems to work, so they're running with it. They know it's bullshit, and that's what pisses me off, because it's dishonest. We are up against stupid liars. Let me tell you a little something about my family. I come from a very, very long line of hammer times. And you know, my mom always told me, you never want to be the nail. Never. Never that. You want to be the fucking hammer. The hammer. Because once you become the hammer, then you become a stop. Stop, baby. And that's, that's where I got all these hammers. Right from my bloodline. My fucking bloodline. 
The rioting has to stop. It's showing up in the polling. perilous situation uh, if you want to see a change in November. To take all policing off is something that I think uh, a latte liberal may go for as they sit around the Hamptons discussing this as some academic problem. And I think this is a blind spot for Democrats. I think Democrats are ignoring this problem or hoping that it will go away. And it's not going to go away. Dealing with imaginary things like Antifa. That's a myth that's being spread only in Washington, D.C. We then have an article that came out because of all this crazy shit. There's actually a, a freaking proud boy, African-American, made a video. My name is Edwin Arthur. My L.A. Proud Boy chapter. Um, I didn't always support Trump. I didn't vote for him because I didn't know to trust it. I didn't trust Hillary Clinton at all and would have never voted for him. So I wanted Trump to prove it, and he has proved it to me, and I will vote for him in 2020. So uh, I believe America, Make America Great's real. I believe it's real for black people and black Americans to support making America great again. I believe black Americans made America great from the beginning. I believe black Americans make America great. So we should all MAGA. And uh, don't fall victim to a lot of false ideologies, race pimping, and uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I joined the Proud Boys. I looked out and tried to find them for four months because I believed in their ideology. And when I found them, they treated me like a brother, all love. We're mixed between all different races, ages, and sexualities. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And sexualities. Yes. We got gay members, Asian, Black, Hispanic, and Indian. there's not Good. one Indian. There's and not and one. Not. There's not one racist redneck Nazi nope. that we'll I've met. Yet. That I've met. Find yet. him and we'll kick him out. So, yep. and I've been called more racist redneck Nazis than ever, which is very odd. Very sad. Why do you think? Why do you think? Because that's all you hear about the Cowboys in the media is that thing. Can I say something? It's just yeah. propaganda. I think it's people who it's there's fierce. two types. There's two types. There's two that know exactly who we are. They know we love people. That we just want freedom. That's all we want. We don't care who you are. We just want everyone to be who they are individually. And they don't like it because they're they're communists. They're, they're totalitarians, and they want control. They do. What and they then there's do. other people who have 
bought into the lies, and that's what they want. They want to know. They don't listen. They don't want to learn. They don't want to be waking up to the truth. And they need they need that hatred to fuel them for whatever that day is. So they are they're very lost. They're very um, sick souls. The the truth and reality means you have to work hard and give back to the people and your community and help you know keep this country great. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. This country is great, but they purposely want to destroy this country and take away what our ancestors have fought for to bring it to this point. But once again, the media, because they got to deflect, they got to help the Democrats. We, we've proven it with now Hillary and Russia. We've proven it with every part of this. And we've proven it the moment they went from peaceful protest to you got to stop with that lemon soundbite. CNN is still saying this. Yeah, well, I'm just I'm just saying I don't think anybody watching what's going on these last few months uh, would agree with that analysis. I mean, you you see them out there and and they are in fact causing uh, you know lots of lots of violence and uh, and uh, across America. So I think I think the president was right in pointing out that uh, that that the the left is is out there uh, you know in Portland and lots of other places uh, causing violence and, and, and was legitimate. And, and the fact that Biden didn't go after his own uh, was equally as reprehensible. Well, you think, wait a second. I mean, you think that Biden, not, Biden, who was quoting the FBI director, was the same as President Trump saying to stand he, by to the hardcore white supremacist group as the ADL labels them? I'm, I'm just well. That's the American Defamation League. I'm not sure I would use them. They 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 claim that the Family Research Center is a is a is a hate group. So that you know, the, the, you, you're you're not quoting a particularly. Uh, How a great would you describe him? How would you describe Proud Boys, Rick? I, I don't Rick, candidly. I don't know that much about him. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, gonna, yeah, gonna, yeah, yeah, pass. I don't. I, I haven't read that much you about. You know him, the so I, Charlottesville. I'm, you know that the look leader, into it. Uh, the, one of the guys in Proud Boys was one of the leaders in Charlottesville. These are people who are widely described as as white supremacists here and are connected in some cases uh, to calls for violence. So that that's which leads us to our this is the America, the worst of the worst of the flipping the script from anarchist destroying our cities and saying it's a obscure group called the Proud Boys that I don't know any Proud Boys, just like I don't know any white supremacists, but I know Antifa. I know BLM people. You see them because they're loved in the media. Understand, before I play the soundbite, once again, it's going to be CNN because you know it. They got to help Biden. They will lie, steal, cheat. Fuck, maybe they gave Trump fucking COVID. When I went to go look up just proof of how violent this has been, under Google, it was called Google... um, the Study Hall Anti-Fascist Media Guide. And this was under Google. It was a top return supported by Google. Fascists use the media to push their message. Journalists can stop helping them. And we will cover it in depth on our next show. But it shows neo-Nazis, like six guys, with some rebel flags as the picture. And it's a study hall by... Journalists Aaron Corbin and Elizabeth King, who have covered the far right for years. As we found out, we don't cover the far left because it's just an idea that the media supports. But these CNN soundbites, once again, do not comport with reality. This is America. 
catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last sound bite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. So explain why it is so clear or why it's so important for the president to be clear. I mean, we hear the White House say over and over, oh, he has denounced it. But I mean, when I think of his occasional denunciation, it comes like pulling teeth. I think of him denouncing white supremacy under considerable pressure a couple days after Heather Heyer was killed in Charlottesville. This latest, I mean, sure is not a denunciation, right? That is not a very clear word. Explain why, even as the White House insists that, you know, people want to dictate the language the president should use, why clear language is so important. Well, he shouldn't be issuing apologies. The first thing he said should be denouncing it. He shouldn't be wheeled out through surrogates or himself giving these muffled excuses of what he said. The fact of the matter is, when he talks about Charlottesville, the first thing he says is they're good people on both sides of the issue. That's reprehensible. Similarly, when he talks and makes the comments to, you know, referencing the Proud Boys to stand by, that's unacceptable. It is not enough that, oh, well, I've got a half-baked excuse or an explanation afterwards. That's not okay. In the first instance, he should be seeking to tamp down unrest. He should be seeking inclusion. He should be denouncing. How, how is it objectionable? How can it possibly be problematic to say, I'm against racial violence? That, that, that to have any other position at all is simply unacceptable with what we stand for as a nation. And every person watching that needs to think through exactly what it is that's coming out of the mouth of the president of the United States. Um, one thing that hasn't changed, though, is that there is genuine concern and there are real questions about what we're going to know about the president and the first lady. How much credibility this White House has as we try to get answers on the president's condition and even the timeline of events simply based on on history. Erica, it's such an important point that you're making there. I, I mean, this has really been a constant conversation uh, for nearly four years now during the Trump presidency, which is when a president has such a deficit of trust with uh, a big swath of the American people, a majority of the American people uh, in some polls that don't see him as honest and trustworthy, when crisis hits, what does that deficiency of trust mean for that moment? And, and let's talk specifically about how... Um, non-transparent, how opaque this administration has been about the president's health specifically. And so on this issue alone of just the president's health, and by the way, President Trump, not the only president that has been opaque about his health in American history, but in this moment, this president who repeatedly lies to the American people, who very publicly dismissed the science related uh, to this virus constantly, and and who is known not to be forthcoming about his own health with the American people. It raises so many questions about what Americans tuning into this news right now can actually uh, take for truth in what comes out of the White House. And right now, obviously, it's precious little. But when information does come out, how the voter, how the American uh, voter sifts through all that is, is a tough. Uh, one of the reasons why we are obviously so skeptical of the way that they've been describing the president's condition is because this is a White House wolf that has obviously consistently withheld information, uh, offered counterfactual false information, uh, not only uh, about the president himself, uh, but about a range of topics. And so we often talk about this White House's 
credibility problem, Wolf, and this is when it matters. These are those national security crises when the White House's credibility matters. It doesn't just matter as it relates to matters of foreign policy uh, and matters uh, of war and peace, uh, but it also matters when it comes to the president's health, which, which is also, of course, a national security matter. And we are now seeing uh, the results, Wolf, of, of uh, five years from the president's candidacy throughout his time in the White House uh, of, of his falsehoods and his lies uh, coming back to bite him in the sense that it is very hard to believe word for word everything that the White House is saying about the president's condition. But it has to be a humiliation for this president who's been making jokes about the mask that Joe Biden wears, almost created a 2020 campaign of mocking the mask wearing public. And here he is hobbling to Walter Reed Hospital on Marine One, having to wear a mask. And in many ways, uh, it'll be part of the narrative of this year, this sort of grand medical humiliation here. When the president came out, we asked him some questions. Uh, he didn't want to take any of those questions. I could see some fatigue uh, in the president's eyes. You could tell he, he looked tired. Um, and it, it appeared to me that Marine One was just taking a little bit extra time uh, leaving the White House grounds this evening. Uh, that could also just be the, the way they were flying this evening. But it just everything seemed to be moving a little bit slower this evening, which, of course, is understandable, Wolf, uh, given the situation that the president's in right now. I mean, obviously, this doesn't happen very often for the president of the United States to essentially be airlifted or medevaced. Uh, from uh, from the White House to Walter Reed uh, suggests that this is a serious situation. Uh, the, the White House has been telling us all day long, you know, no, this is he's just dealing with mild symptoms and so on. Uh, you know, honestly, Wolf, I think we're just going to need more information before we can take that to the bank. Now, typically this president, you know, he likes to talk to reporters. Uh, you, you've seen this on so many different occasions. Uh, it's a beautiful evening. Would have been just fine for him to stop and talk to us. Uh, and he went right past us, flashed a thumbs up. I asked him, how are you doing? Uh, how long do you expect to be gone from the White House? All we got was a thumbs up from the president. Well, I think the only way uh, we can know that he is doing well, as we all hope he is, is to hear from his doctors. And I know I sound like a broken record uh, tonight about this, Wolf. And we haven't, we really haven't heard anything else. It's reassuring to see that the president could do that video, that he could walk out and kind of wave uh, to people. Obviously, it looked like he didn't have the kind of energy he normally has, but this is why you need people inside the White House who are not just his family, um, but we need people who and doctors who can tell us what is what is really occurring here. That's how the process uh, is designed to work. The question now is, is the president, is President Trump sick enough where he would want to transfer his powers to Vice President Pence? According to the spokesman we just heard from, the answer is no, but given the evolving explanations of the president's condition and the fact that he's been transferred to a hospital, you know, does raise the question about whether or when such a transfer of power will take place. Yeah, that's very, very significant indeed. We'll see what happens. I'm curious what, uh, if the president uh, is, is staying in bed, is, is, is um, recovering, and not actively working. What does the foreign policy, what should our foreign policy apparatus do? What does that look like in situations like this? 
Joe, the basic machinery uh, runs, uh, I want to say, on autopilot. President Trump has seemed almost to want to disrupt them. Uh, resent them, but he has not succeeded, and they're, st and they're still there. If you read Bob Woodward's book, what you find uh, often uh, with our foreign policy apparatus, at least over the first three and a half years of the Trump presidency, uh, you have people who are operating uh, and working their agencies, um, trying to do their best to not have their work disrupted uh, by a tweet or by an angry call from the White House. So. Uh, perhaps uh, the foreign policy apparatus is in pretty good position right now because they have, uh, they, it's, it's ironic, but uh, because there hasn't been a good interagency process in this administration, uh, they, have, they have had to learn to operate the State Department and, and other agencies, uh, the intelligence agencies, um, on their own without a lot of interference from the it's devoid of facts. The Coleman Tribune, more than 400 law enforcement officers injured in riot across the U.S., 12 dead. Incidents include Albany, uh, hit by a brick, Asbury, New Jersey, Rock, Maximilia Brewer struck by an ATV in Atlanta, Georgia, Boston, Seven officers suffered unspecified injuries. Brockton, state troopers and multiple police officers hit by bottles and rocks. Buffalo, Champaign, Columbia, South Carolina, 12 officers. Chicago, 132 officers. Davenport, Iowa, Denver, Harrisburg, Huntsville, Jacksonville, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, New York, Oakland, uh, Oak Lawn, Oakland again. Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Prince William, Providence, Richmond, Sacramento, Salt Lake, San Antonio. Some of these are hit with bats. Santa Ana, St. Louis, Washington, D.C. Four hundred thirty-six people killed. Thirty-six people. Seventeen killed in Chicago. But yeah, this is good stuff. Even Wikipedia, violence and controversy during George Floyd protest. There have been numerous reports of videos of aggressive police actions, but in many, there's also numerous reports of incidents of aggressive protesters. They show all the deaths of people who died during, and then all the injuries. They started their own on Wikipedia. Fox News, Fox 6, Milwaukee, deadly and arrest here are the people who have died amid a George Floyd protest. And they show mostly black people killed. Cops. Protesters. Killed by other protesters. Death, tell, death tolls grow in national protest. This is from VOA News, Associated Press, and they show all the crap. And then, for some unforetold reason, and I put this in here, Politico hypes Soros Link Group spending seven figures to fight Barrett. This is the third Politico story to talk about him trying to buy American judicial system. 
yet we never, ever have conservatives going on the floor of the Senate or the House and saying, this election is being bought by the Koch brothers. A whole election. He had half of America scared of the Koch brothers who donate a tenth of what George Soros has already donated during this crisis. Liberal students vandalize steel signs from pro-life memorial at Texas University. It's all on film. They're fucking asshats. There it is. I'll play just a little bit of it. They're going through the field and pulling them all up. Oh, but you're in the business of millions of women. That's what you're doing wrong. I'm a woman, so I have a say. Exactly. You look like a clown. Anybody has a say. You look like a clown. But thank you. Watch this video. Liberals vandalize. There's another one. Yeah, because it's a woman's choice. And we should let women choose. But no, you don't let them choose. You decide to do all this dumb shit. And then decide that I can't have a choice because I don't have a say. Sorry, mixing my okay. coffee. Are you going to give our flags back? Well, I'm not going to get up to you. I'm not going to start something. Yeah. But yeah, it's Proud Boys. You're right. It's the Proud Boys. I mean, the New York Times took their time to write an article, smugly see ear pierce conspiracy on the right, and totally skips it. They ran whole articles on George Bush having an ear piece. And to surmise the violence that has been throughout everything that we've had since Donald Trump became president of the United States, the very day of the Women's March, He was inaugurated. They're already talking that he was killing women. Bob Woodward just said on CNN that the media is too focused on getting the story of what's going on with Trump's health, that the focus should be on wishing him well and treating him medically. Be nice to have a briefing and know all kinds of things. I think we could put that on the back shelf for a few minutes. If you or I were in the situation, you'd want the energy to go for medical treatment and not being overly concerned with briefing and media and public. Maybe patience is called for. But no, we're, we're, we're not going to do that. They want him dead. And to show that it's all coordinated from top to bottom, the narrative, everything that's put out, officers and grand jury testimony, Brianna Taylor's boyfriend said, Taylor herself shot at the police. So, in our world right now, I guess officers being shot at by black women that are going to be made martyrs, well, that's just, well, that just happens to happen. And I played in there, they want the 25th to go in line with this. The 25th Amendment to go in line with everything we've been doing. Because they hate him that much. They have to do it. They're even this just broke. President Trump walks out of the White House 
his own powered Marine One before heading to the White House. Per source, Gabriel Sherman. Trump insisted on walking to Marine One for the visual. Rita Panani, do you want him to skateboard to the helicopter, moonwalk? What else was he supposed to do? Ridiculous hack? As opposed to what? Getting carried on a stretcher? He doesn't need to be on a stretcher. Usually, he goes by sedan chair. Should we have cartwheeled, had aides carrying him? God, you people are insufferable. God forbid the POTUS show strength. I smell pullets, sir. Do you need to take a couple pampering and lie down for a while? Maybe put a cold washcloth on your forehead. So I return to my theme throughout. Why would I not think somebody gave him COVID? A man surrounded by tests of tests. Nobody can touch him that hasn't been tested. And Hope Hicks gets it and gives it to him. I will assure you, as I am a fat, bald man, there will be no contact tracing on who gave it to Hope Hicks. Because the media doesn't want to know that because they themselves are probably in on the job. We close with the Tucker Carlson segment with the British guy, and I can never remember his name. In just a few moments, we'll be joined by the president's oldest son, Don Jr., Of course, across the world tonight, people are praying that we will learn good news about the president's condition. Over at CNN, however, we were told again and again that the president deserved the sickness that he got. And they trotted out the usual hacks to explain why he deserved it. A lot of people have been put in jeopardy by the uh, president's behavior. And now we've learned, of course, this morning that one of those people is the president himself. But he just couldn't get over the fact that in his mind, the mask equals weakness equals I'm not on top of this virus. So perhaps a bit of a shock this morning for Americans, but not necessarily a surprise. It is also the most vivid possible demonstration of the incompetence and the irresponsibility of the administration. In large part, uh, it's his own dereliction is um, partly to blame for this. He chose to go out to rallies. Imagine. He just announced he was infected. He just got to Walter Reed. He deserved it. They didn't wait long. Of course, millions of Americans have been diagnosed with the coronavirus, probably people you know, probably people in your family. We can say that. Hundreds of thousands have died. CNN's expert panelists are saying they all deserved it. They must have. They were careless. They were derelict in their duties. If there was a lesson from the coverage of this, it's a very familiar lesson. The media class is willing to attack the rest of the country if they think it will hurt the president they despise, if they think it will give them more political power. And, of course, it wasn't just the media. In fact, the official message of the Democratic Party is that Donald Trump had it coming. We all receive that news with great sadness. I always pray for the president's family that they're safe. Uh, I continue to do so more intensified. This is tragic. It's very sad. But it also is something that, that... Uh, Again, uh, going into crowds, uh, unmasked and all the rest, was sort of a a, a brazen invitation for something like this to happen. Brazen invitation. He asked for it. He was dressed provocatively. That's what Nancy Pelosi has told you. Many other Democrats are echoing that sentiment. Rick, Rick Leventhal has been following this reaction from the Democratic Party. He joins us tonight to explain more. Rick? Hey, Tucker, there are a lot of people wishing the president and first lady well on Twitter, sending thoughts and prayers for a speedy recovery. But 
No surprise, the haters are not holding back, actually saying they hope the first couple die. And Twitter says it's immediately removing those messages because they violate policy. Here's one from former Obama staffer Zara Rahim, who uh, shared this and then apparently self-deleted a post reading, it's been against my moral identity to tweet this for the past four years, but I hope he dies. Then there's Steve Cox, an independent candidate for California's 39th district, who posted numerous tweets wishing death on the president and then wrote, by quote, I hope they both die. I was talking about Trump and Biden, not Melania. She seems nice. And former Elizabeth Warren staffer Max Berger wrote, Trump has destroyed millions of lives. He deserves none of our sympathy. Some Twitter users have compiled a library of mean tweets wishing the worst on the president, and there are too many of them to count, Tucker. In a statement, Twitter says content that wishes uh, hopes or expresses a desire for death, serious bodily harm, or fatal disease against an individual is against our rules, and Twitter says it will prioritize the removal of content when it has a clear call to action that could cause real-world harm. That's a quote. Meanwhile, the president's tweet announcing he had the virus was his most popular ever, at last count, tallying 1.7 million likes, Tucker. Unbelievable. Rick Leventhal, thank you. Sure. If you find yourself rooting for someone's death, anyone's death, it's time to pause and take stock of how your own soul has rotted. We're all going to die in the end. And trust me, as we do, we're going to regret thinking things like that about other people. We actually debated whether or not to put that on the air tonight. It's so ugly. In general, our, our view is don't put things on TV that are that ugly. But we felt we should because it is everywhere today. And we want you to know why. There are some who are rooting for the president's demise and the vice president's demise so that Nancy Pelosi might become president. That sounds insane, and it is, but they put it on MSNBC anyway. Watch. This is a very serious health threat. You are second in line for the presidency. Has the White House contacted you about the continuity of government? CNN had a similar message today. So this is political opportunism, obviously, but it's more than that. It's spiritual sickness. Hatred, festering hatred has driven these people bananas, truly. On CNN Today, Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy, who sits in the United States Senate, proved the point better than we ever could. Here's what he said. If President Trump can't be out there on the campaign trail for the next two weeks, then he is going to rely on his surrogates. And unfortunately, one of his surrogates is Vladimir Putin. So you are likely going to see this campaign ramped up by Russia over the next few weeks to try to substitute for the president's absence on the campaign trail. I'm sorry. Again, we apologize even for playing garbage like that. The president of the United States is in the hospital with a life-threatening illness. He seems to be fine, but you don't know. And that buffoon is on television saying Vladimir Putin is one of his surrogates. Probably some teenage assistant wrote that for you, thinks it's clever. We put that on the air because we want you to know what they're saying as the president was flown to Walter Reed tonight. What does that even mean, by the way? Mark Stein joins us tonight to decode what they're saying, as always, the clearest thinker we know. Mark Stein, great to see you. What is this? Uh, well, just to, I, I hadn't heard that thing from Chris Murphy till you played it just now, Tucker. That is absolutely ridiculous. The idea that Trump's in the hospital so his surrogate Putin will have to do more interference. Just to get back to reality. Can I just say, and I mean this, I would rather live in a country run by Putin than by Chris Murphy, I'll tell you that. I mean it. Oh, I'd I, rather I, live in a country I, run by I, anybody I, than someone like Chris Murphy. Truly. 
Oh, no, if, if Chris Murphy is in the line of succession, I'm on the first plane out of here because it's over. What's actually happened is that the uh, real colluders, the real interferers, the Chinese Communist Party has managed to uh, right, exactly. impact uh, three, three of the G7 leaders. They put my old chum Boris in, uh, in the intensive care unit, and he's never been the same since. He's permanently damaged. Uh, they put the Prime Minister uh, of Canada's wife. She, she's had this thing, and now we have uh, the President of the United States. So that's three-sevenths of the G7. That's a pretty impressive strike rate from the real strategic threat to this country. Country, while Chris Murphy is talking about his clapped-out, stupid, four-year-old Russia conspiracy that, in fact, is nothing to do with anything real anywhere on the planet. That is a really deep point. And I have to ask you, I wasn't expecting to go here, what do you mean, so, so you work, for our viewers who don't know, you wrote with, worked with, as a journalist with Boris Johnson, who currently runs oh, yeah. Great Britain, he's prime minister. What do you mean he's never been the same since? What were the effects of it on him? Well, I, I think one of the, the things I'd, I'd urge particularly is that when Boris first was diagnosed, he stayed in 10 Downing Street and he carried on tweeting and he carried on doing these little Skypey videos and he overworked, which uh, wound up putting him in the hospital with more severe symptoms. But he came out a changed man. Uh, and, and in fact, his ministry is changed. The entire government of the United Kingdom is, is kind of listless and uh, hasn't properly convalesced from his illness. And my concern here, by the way, this, this is a remarkable series of events. It's, the story's been moving through the day. Uh, but if Boris is anything to go by, even when you get over the COVID, and let's not forget that the president is 20 years older than Boris. Um, even when you get over the COVID, you can't then immediately go back on the campaign trail and be working 24-7. I'm, I'm concerned if Boris is the model here, that, that effectively uh, uh, the president will be out of combat uh, from now till November the 3rd. And that's amazing. That's, that actually is the October surprise to end them all. So we have evidence, there's real uh, scientific evidence from scientists, we, we don't know this definitively, but we're not going to dismiss it, that this virus emerged from a Chinese government lab in Wuhan, China, in central China. And yet, to, it, we seem to have this kind of weird gentleman's agreement never to mention that, or never to mention Chinese culpability in this scourge. Why do you think that is? Well, I think what I think for a start, there are real uh, there are there are real penalties to be made for annoying the Chinese. Uh, the right. Chinese well. actually uh, invaded India in May while we were all in lockdown. Nobody noticed it, but they actually got into a shooting war with uh, with India. Uh, what they've done in Hong Kong is basically a big uh, up yours to to Boris. They've threatened the Australians. Uh, this they are on the rise. They're actually doing. This this every day. Uh, the, the Chinese government newspaper was gloating within hours about the president and the first lady's diagnosis. And yet this buffoon, who is one of the 300 million Americans who, uh, one of 100 uh, from 300 million people who gets to sit in the United States Senate, thinks this is something to do with Putin. I mean, th this is Orwellian, the fact that we've actually got a rampant China uh, threatening uh, all 
manner of countries, boasting about uh, how it uh, flies into Taiwanese airspace uh, when American cabinet uh, officials are there just to uh, tell them who's really boss. And Chris Murphy thinks, ha, 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 uh, the president being taken to the hospital is just a great opportunity to dust off the old four-year-old Putin jokes. Pathetic. We've been so up our own butts in this country, so inwardly focused that we're missing, and I don't want to overstate this because I don't want to be hysterical, but effectively a massive expansion of Chinese hegemony around the world. I don't want to say Chinese takeover of the world, but I mean, that's where, that's where we're moving, it seems like. No, absolutely. We're, we're like the beginning of the Godzilla movie, where there's a strange indentation in the ground, and we're all standing around in it saying, what's going on? And then the camera pans up, and you realize it's a giant footprint. Right. And the giant footprint is China's. So when you're like this buffoon Murphy, and you're doing your four-year-old Putin gags, you're actually wasting valuable time in public discourse. For a couple, And this is, again, my worry, because actually the president. You know, really, the, the whole uh, rise of China was a bipartisan racket in Washington. And, and President Trump personally was the one who actually put it on the front burner and uh, addressed it. And my concern is that actually with, there wasn't a single question about China at that debate a couple of days ago. That's and ridiculous. my concern is that with the, with the president in hospital, there's not going to be any more talk about China. Right. Oh, white supremacy, BLM, yeah. Mm. And we're missing Ooh, yeah. the transformation of the world, which is transforming to our disadvantage, which will be the central right. fact of our grandchildren's lives. But we're just kind of acting like Absolutely. it's not happening because, like, something happened in Louisville. I mean, this is, this is embarrassing. We're embarrassing ourselves. No, no, no. Absolutely. And as I said, three G7 governments have been hit at the very highest level. Yeah. Three out of seven. That's a yeah. hell of a strike rate for the Chinese. Yeah, it's, it's, it's time to break the spell of narcissism and wake up. There is a rest of the world out there. I really appreciate your sounding that call. Mark Stein, thanks, great to see thanks you. Thanks a lot, Tucker. Thank you. Well, as promised, Donald Trump Jr. is here with an update on his father's condition. Don, first of all, thanks for coming on. We're really sorry about this. What can you tell us about your father's condition right now? Don Trump, can you hear me? We're going to go back to Mark Stein really quick as we try and debug our audio here. Um, so, Mark, the one thing that nobody has mentioned here is sort of like the effect on the, on the presidential race of this. And we don't know that. You can kind of see it going in either direction. I don't want to speculate too much, but we are effectively a month away. What, what do you think this right. does to the race? I can see it from both ends. Well, you know, what's, what's interesting is he's a man in his early 70s, uh, and as people have been saying, he's a, a little bit overweight. There have been people of his age around the world who've had this thing and just taken a couple of weeks off. And that's why I think a lot of, a lot of people who think this might just be a mild case will uh, be a little rattled by the scenes of the helicopter on the South Lawn uh, taking off for uh, the medical center. And I wonder about, uh, you know, putting aside the, the president's health for a moment, I wonder if the, just the optics of that might actually rattle people 
uh, a little bit more than than uh, the, than you might wish to do. I'd certainly be interested to hear uh, what Don Jr. has to say about yeah. that and the, and the reasons for it. But it's very different. I can't recall that situation, the dr the drama of it, with any other world leader who has been afflicted by this thing. That is something new, and and I and uh, it, it, abundance of caution is the catchphrase of the day. But I I'm I'm not sure whether the optics won't actually alarm a lot of the president's supporters. And so, and so Don Jr., I, I hope, will be able to reassure us on that point. I hope so, I hope so too. Mark Stein, thank you. If I was a real show, I'd lose sponsors for what I've said today. And maybe I'll lose some listeners. But hear me out. From the beginning of this presidency, but beginning of him announcing he was running for president, the media, the Democrats, the same thing. They're a cabal by any means necessary. And then watching how they've act from the beginning to the end of losing an election that they thought they had locked up. They have talked about anything that could possibly destroy our system so they'll never lose power. You then couple it with unleashing their fascist fucking foot soldiers you transpose it on top of the whole Russian thing was a ploy by Hillary to deflect from her fucking emails. The FBI and every major media network ran with it. We then watched the George Floyd protest come off a faulty claim that he was killed by a cop when he was already dying. Once again, not saying what the cop did was great. It was a piece of shit. Should have been fucking fired. But it didn't kill the man. And four subsequent shootings are all based on bullshit with thugs we watch all the violence out in our street. We know who's doing its BLM Antifa. We know that Democrats are funding the return to the streets of these pieces of shit and have numerous cases of people going back and killing people because that's what they were trying to do at the time, mostly black women. We watch NPR fucking do right-wingers are ramming protests and it turns out to be black people that are trying to get away and get to work. And we all know if we were in the car, what the fuck would we do? We play numerous sound bites on the show of young women and fucking with children in the car being swamped by these cocksuckers. We show the media trying to make cops out as the bad guys as little army ant fucking zombie antifa jump on their fucking cars. And then the polls change. Then the media and the Democrats start spinning. Oh, it's the Proud Boys. It's right wing agitators. They tried it once. Even had Twitter come on and talk about one account. They knew it was bullshit. And now they go to, well, we got to get them. So we go to the debate and we push it all about white supremacy. And why can't he denounce white supremacy when all he's arguing is, hey, it's not white supremacy. And then we know he's denounced white supremacy numerous times. And they fucking lied about the Charlottesville from Jump Street, even though it was inarticulate. And then he once again says it's white supremacy. And boom, he gets COVID. And now we wish he fucking dies. While they're propping up a candidate that doesn't go out in the street, doesn't do anything, because everybody, including the very media that is propping him up, knows he's not going to be in charge of shit. So why wouldn't I think they gave him COVID? They've done everything to take the president down, and I base it on the simple fact, I'm not a Trump supporter, I'm not a Republican, but you could never have this much of a coordinated 
coup under a Democrat president without people going to jail. And I don't mean white-collar jail, making big rocks into little rocks. I mean, if you surmise everything that happened to George W. Bush, everything that happened to Ronald Reagan, everything that happened to fucking President Trump in just four years, and you apply it over Democrats who lied about the word it, use the IRS, let people die on Benghazi, did Fast and Furious, gave boatloads of money to the very people that were killing American soldiers... You would sit in your bunker like me and go, how in the flying fuck could we have a narrative that he, President Trump, thinks soldiers are pieces of shit and the Democrats are the real people who love soldiers? By the way, Hunter Biden only got administratively discharged from the military because his name is Biden. He failed a urinalysis as a fucking officer. And there's the crux. Do I think Republicans' kids get away with shit? Sure the fuck they do. But it's in the paper. Hunter Biden failed a piss test as an officer. That's not administrative discharge, boys and girls. For normals. But to sit behind, he died of this, and he was a soldier, and that makes Biden the guy... When he told soldiers they're stupid bastards on tape. The media saw that tape. And then the media lied that they didn't see the tape. Every fact check is fucking twisted. Every fucking thing we live in right now is a steaming pile of fucking lies. Non-stop. Lies, mistruths, stretching the truth, trying to do anything to get Biden elected while I wouldn't talk about any policy that is so fucking extreme they don't talk about it themselves. Sweet God, do you think of Donald Trump's second term agenda was to make little kids run around with fucking ARs, ban abortion, and change the electoral college to give red states... More votes than blue states. That would not be something the media would be talking about. Do you not think that? That's the equivalency of the polar opposite of what the Dems want to do, which is take away everybody's AR. Fucking tax the shit with background checks for ammo. Have two red flag laws. Make every fucking gun manufacturer liable for cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs while they're simultaneously making it impossible for them to get money. Make the electoral college go away. Pack the fucking courts. Make two more states so they have more people in the Senate so then they get rid of the filibuster and they never have to ever worry about getting 60 votes ever. That's their platform. Their platform, as Tucker Carlson has articulated every night since it came out, is that every white person in the United States is fucking racist. And we will all, even if you don't work, get re-education camp on your white fragility. So yeah, think I'm Alex Jones. Yeah, think I'm a fucking piece of shit. If you do.
But there has been nothing since the moment the man said I'm running for president to make me think they wouldn't have somebody give Hope Hicks the person he's closest to COVID to stop him from being able to campaign. Even Tucker Carlson went for a second. The timing is very interesting. The October surprise, as CBS says. And in turn, I ask, why? If If it makes you pause and think, how did a man ringed by security with everybody getting tested get COVID-19 and you pause for a second like I did and Tucker Carlson and everybody else and go, wow, that's kind of interesting. Why would you give them sorry sack of un-American shit any power over you? Why would you? I mean, my mind was made up the moment this shit show started. I can't vote for people whose sole platform is take rights away from other people. And in the scheme of all the narrative and bullshit we go through in our fucking political sphere, nothing the right puts up takes away rights. Limiting abortion doesn't take away a right. Limiting transgenders in the military doesn't take away a right. We're talking a half a percentage of people. And the people that are there are all fucking plants by the LGBT cabal just to go in and cause shit. At no time did anybody in the Trump administration talk about taking away gay marriage. That was a that was a claim. And Obamacare doesn't help anybody. Anybody who questions my veracity on that, go back to older tapes where I talked about, I don't have a single worker on Obamacare. Because Obamacare is a steaming pile of shit that nobody can afford. If you're poor, it's only for the people that are sitting at their house on permanent snap and dole. Getting subsidized. Illegally. The left wants to tell you what you can eat, tell you what you can drive, tell you that you're not going to have power unless you have 30% fucking renewable, tell you you can't have guns, tell you you can't go to your religious functions, tell you to shut your fucking mouth. And they have every form of social media that at this time allows burn it down and as I showed today, let him die float but if you even articulate in any form that there should be violence you're banned my wife has retweeted videos and been blocked she's on permanent watch because she's not saying what facebook wants her to say that's the left remember The ex-CEO of Twitter says people should be lined up and shot. Do you not think the rest of them think the same thing? 
They do, and we played it on the show. Reeducate you people for not thinking like us. Silence your fucking opinion, and you shut your hole and know your role, which is we're going to tell you how to live. We're going to tell you what to think. We're going to tell you how to breathe. So this wraps up a very depressing episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOPpodcast gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Down, and Pocket Cast. Remember to check out the Twitter page at Fop Tony Reed. Our next show is going to be the 7th now. Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. 7th of October, year of our Lord, 2020. From here to then, stay safe, disconnect from your devices, don't give the yeah yeahs, and tune back in Wednesday for another show. As always, we're going to end on the liberal violence, which I guess is the Proud Boys. Nancy Pelosi works for the Proud Boys. And I thank I, you all I, I for listening. I don't even know why there Take aren't care. uprisings all over the country, and maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, we kick. How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. But even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murderers. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take you behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face! When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. And that's a fact. Look as his character is stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and wow. our honoring our Constitution are, are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November, and they're not going to stop after Election Day. And that should be, everyone should take note of that on both levels. That this isn't, they're not going to let up, and they should not. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet.
And part of the challenge we have as a nation is that a significant swath of Americans still support Donald Trump. They support his vision of America, and that is rooted in racism. It is rooted in a desire for power at the expense of everyone who is black and brown. And so what we have in this problem is a, is a, is a spiritual kind of tyranny of the worst impulses, uh, you know, as uh, Dr. Meacham said, um, you, know, nar- you know, sort of weaponizing narcissism. That will send a shockwave through this country. And Donald Trump may not accept the results, but who gives a because the rest of the country will be forced to. I'm at the point where I'm ready to put these police in the fucking grave. I'm at the point where I want to burn the fucking White House down. I want to take it to the senator. I want to take it to the Congress. I want to take the fight to them. And at the end of the day, if they ain't going to hear us, we burn them the fuck down. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride, makes every day count.
Killer. 